Jesus had pity on them and sent them off in the boat, but he stayed with the crowd and gave them words to go away with so that he was sure that he kind of sent them out right. And only then did he go up the mountain to pray. Because he saw us as harassed, as sheep without a shepherd, and his heart just went out to us. And even on the cross, in, in agony, Jesus had time for the thief who said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus had time to turn to him and say, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. And even with the people who hated him, Jesus was generous you know, right up until the end, stories and parables for the scribes and the Pharisees, not to tell them off, but to, to see if he could get their hearts to turn. And with his disciples, when Jesus wanted to teach them a new command, love one another as I have loved you, that was all he had to say. Love one another as I have loved you. So as we get into this passage, I want you to hold on to the generosity and the goodness of God, because it's a challenging passage. The background is growing conflict between the religious leaders and Jesus, and he's just finished warning them not to be like the scribes and the Pharisees, when all of a sudden there's this guy in the crowd, you have to feel sorry for him. He speaks up and says, yes, fine, that's fine, Jesus, but tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So he sounds like a younger brother who wanted the older brother to hand over his share. But Jesus wasn't interested in taking the role of a referee between two brothers. And he used the moment to teach on money and generosity. Watch out. Be on your guard against every kind of greed. Life is not about how much you have. And so Jesus tells the story of the rich fool. That's what it's generally called. It's not what the Bible calls it, but we tend to call it the story of the rich fool, which I think is a bit harsh. A guy who was already rich had an amazing harvest. And he thought, this is great. I can't even store it. I'm going to replace my barns with much bigger barns. And then when it's all in, I won't have a worry in the world. You know, it doesn't matter if there are bad harvests in the next couple of years or if the taxes go up, you know, because I've got it. I've got it. Me and my family are going to be fine. I don't have to work so hard. You know, let's get some wine out. We'll have some special meals. It's, it's going to be great. You would have to be quite an unusual person and quite unusually spiritual not to have some empathy with this guy. I mean, he's done really well. In our context, maybe think of someone who's built up their own tech business and then sells it to Google or Apple for millions and millions and millions. And the rebuke in the story is not about being successful or rich. That's not the rebuke. 
nor is the rebuke in the story just being happy because it's been a great year. The rebuke is that he was not rich towards God. And with the crowd, Jesus leaves it there, as he did with so many of his parables and stories. But then he turns to the disciples and begins to unpack it for them. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Think of the ravens. Think of the lilies. The pagan world runs after all these things. Your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom and you get these things as well. Jesus lived radically free from fear and anxiety around not having enough. I mean, he just wasn't anxious. He never displayed the slightest fear about money. We see Jesus in pain. We see Jesus sorrowful. We see Jesus in, in many different contexts and times, but not sorrow or worry and fear about money or about having enough. And Jesus is basically teaching, if you want to live free from fear and anxiety around money, be generous. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Maybe in our context where we tend to hold wealth more in money than in possessions, give your money away. The secrets of the kingdom are often upside down and uncomfortable and challenging. And Jesus is basically saying, if you want to live fear, free from fear and anxiety, be generous. Which is counterintuitive because you might think, if you want to live free of anxiety about having enough, the way to do that is to make sure you get lots and to have the mindset, every little bit that I get added to what I've already got makes just that little bit more. But Jesus says, no, it works the other way round. If you are generous, then you can learn to live free from anxiety because generosity is an act of faith in God that he will provide. Generosity is highly subversive in a world that tries to motivate us around getting as much as we can and then using it all for ourselves. Now, um, last summer, Anne and I were on holiday for a week with my oldest son, daughter-in-law, two grandchildren, and the youngest is William, and he was seven at the time. And like lots of kids, uh, William has no idea how to measure risk. He understands about safety and danger, 
but he, he, he's got no framework about how to do that well. So William thinks a 500-foot sheer cliff drop isn't dangerous at all. Why not dance on the edge of that? It's a great idea. But slightly wet, long grass outside the holiday house that the ball has gone into, that's really dangerous. And William thinks, you know, a really sharp kitchen knife, that's great fun, I'd like to play with that. Can I have it to, you know, chop some wood or something? Not dangerous at all. But slightly unfamiliar food. Whoa, <laughs> come on, guys. That's really dangerous, and you could go through that. But the thing is, the children of the kingdom of heaven are just the same. We have the wrong idea about risk. Putting Jesus' ways into practice is a really, really safe thing to do. It's a really wise, safe thing to do. Whereas ignoring Jesus' teaching and kind of hearing it and going away is really, really dangerous. And our need as disciples and followers of Jesus is to let his words shape our understanding of what's dangerous and what's safe. Now, the verbal expression of generosity towards God or being rich towards God, if you like, is praise and thanksgiving, the kind of fruit of the lips. You know what we were doing earlier in, in the worship time, just expressing praise and thanksgiving to God. And walking in the ways of Jesus means taking on kind of little rhythms and disciplines so that in your internal thoughts and in your head, kind of generosity and, and, and thankfulness towards God and just appreciating who he is and what he's done is kind of the backdrop in your mental furniture. And we've, we've taught on that a little bit. That's kind of the verbal bit. But the action is generosity. The, the action that brings freedom from fear and anxiety, according to Jesus' teaching, is generosity. Sell your possessions, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Don't worry about what you have or where it's coming from. So I want to give you an opportunity to think about walking in the footsteps of Jesus in terms of generosity. And I, I know that some of you are really, really generous in the way you give time, energy, and money to the church and in other places. This morning is not about giving to the church. The context in which Jesus is preaching is actually giving to the poor, not to the needs of the disciples. But the thing with generosity is, it, it's not where I am today, it's the next step for me from where I am now. And uh, e each of us, probably, has aspects of generosity that we really struggle with. I mean, I find it really hard to be generous with time sometimes, you know, when I'm feeling pressured, even more than money. You will, you will have your own 
bit of generosity that you struggle with. And what I would like to do is give you the opportunity to ask the Holy Spirit, how is the practice of generosity working out in my life? So kind of here's here's some things to think about. Apart from my tithe, you know, if you do tithe, is all the rest of my income just spent on me and or my family? You know, when was the last time you gave some money to someone just because they might need it or it might bless them? Outside what you kind of plan to do, outside what you regularly do, how is the practice of generosity working out in your life? And what is the next step? The thing with the ways of Jesus is they're not that hard to understand, but they are sometimes very hard to do. And the practice of generosity is like that. So what I would like to do right now is just ask you to close your eyes so it's just you and God. And just ask the question, Lord, what is the next step in generosity for me? Now just take a minute or two. And if you have any sense that the Holy Spirit is prompting you with something, I want to encourage you to do two things. One is to make a note of it. And the other is, not right now, but sometime today, to tell someone else. Because once you do that, you kind of, it solidifies and um, it's more likely that you'll actually do it. And... Um, I'm just going to read some of those words of Jesus again as we finish. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. 
And do not set your heart on what you will eat and drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all these things. And your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom. And these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock. For your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Lord, would you give us the grace to reflect your generosity in what we do and in how we give? And would you set us free from anxiety and fear over resources? And thank you, God, for your promises. And that you are a kind and faithful and generous father. We bless you.